Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Demp here. Thanks for tuning in. Remember back in the day, for me it was middle school, when you would take an IQ test and you thought like maybe, just maybe there's a chance that I'm a genius. And then you realize over time, you're not special. You're the same as everyone else. But lucky for you, IQ was on the way out. Now it was EQ. And of course, we all have really high EQ, we're empathetic, we can read others, we can influence. And just when you started to master that, I'm here to tell you that now it's actually XQ that is what allows us to succeed. Our guest this week is Soren Kaplan, and his new book is called Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs. And that is where XQ comes from. Now, Soren is an author, a former corporate executive, co-founder of Praxy.com, a columnist for Inc. Magazine and Psychology Today, and an affiliate at the Center for Effective Organizations at the University of Southern California. He's led professional development programs for thousands of leaders around the world, and Business Insider and Thinkers50 have recognized him as one of the world's top management thought leaders and consultants. Now, in this episode and in his new book, what we're talking about is a new way to view experience. And I'm a big fan of this because, as you all know, I 
did not come up through the ranks, climb the corporate ladder, fall in line with the capitalistic mantra of live to work. Instead, I believe we should enjoy our time on this planet, experience as many things as possible, and see how we can leverage that experience to make other people's lives better. And what Soren does in this interview is talk about how we can actually do that. So if you enjoy, share with a friend. Also, if you enjoy, I'm going to say it again, I'd like to hear from you. Here's the thing. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, but if you wouldn't mind answering a five-minute survey, you don't understand. It's a huge help. We're going to be finishing this soon so we can improve the podcast, and I'd like your feedback. So just email me, chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Really appreciate your help. Here it is, my interview with Soren Kaplan about his brand new book, Experiential Intelligence. Harness the power of experience for personal and business breakthroughs. Enjoy. I've never heard of this idea of experiential intelligence or XQ as you dub it. And the the catch for me was, look, we all know about IQ. It's one of those things you really want to, oh man, I want that high IQ. And then as things progressed and people got a little more culturally aware, I think we, we really focused on EQ. And now you're saying that the next evolution of that, or in addition to that, is this idea of XQ. So we'll just start off with something you've probably answered a million times. What is it? Yeah, like you said, the framing is we've known your, our intellectual intellect and intellectual intelligence is important for you know success and life and business. Um, then we learned emotional intelligence, EQ, is also important and being in touch with our own emotions and the emotions of others. EQ was introduced like 30, 40 years ago. So the idea that there, there's this other dimension our experiences giving us kind of the street smarts to navigate in today's disruptive world. It's just, it's an intuitive concept, but it's just been missing from how we think about what makes someone smart, what makes someone intelligent and broadening the definition so that it's our experiences also so that we can navigate the fast changing world, all the disruptive technologies. And even think about these days, when you look at artificial intelligence, how do we even think, you know, what makes us different as human beings? It's the experiences we have, which shape how we think our mindsets, the abilities we develop and just what we know how to do. And and that's what experiential intelligence is. It's not replacing anything. It's adding to the dialogue of what makes people who they are and, and, and smart. I read something where you called it your unique internal fingerprint. Tell us a little bit more about how our XQ is really unique to us and creates that uniqueness that is not repeatable. Sure. Well, the the concept of experiential intelligence came out of psychology and the former president of the American Psychological Association introduced the word. Now, I've expanded upon it and kind of connected in a lot of research around psychology and sociology, neuroscience. But just to you know, kind of bring it to life, um, I, I, and I talk about this in, in my book because I had a really tough childhood. My, my mother developed a mental illness when I was three. We moved uh, 16 times by the time I was 15, and my father was very, rarely around. So, uh, you know, that, that, impacted me in in how I think 
it impacted me and you know what I was able or not able to do in in my childhood. So for example, I may or may not have you know I might have thought I had a ride home. I might have waited and not had a ride home and had to figure it out at a very young age. Um, I had to make decisions with very little data. I had to live with a lot of ambiguity. Now, those things that traumatized me also gave me unique gifts that I've used to do startups, to work in large organizations and decipher cultures, work with leaders. And so the same things that shape us oftentimes early on into our adulthood can create things that we need to heal from potentially, but also instill unique gifts. And it's tapping into those gifts, which is really your experiential intelligence. And so, you know, there's those are, that's my personal story, but there's a lot of research and there's a lot of other examples that really show how our experiences instill ways of thinking, mindsets, abilities, and just practical knowledge and skills. It's like the 10,000 hour rule. It's like the street smarts. And now we just have a structure to sort of think about it and understand it. So this idea of we all have experiences that shape who we are at this moment and how we show up and what skills, abilities, things we have. Obviously, it's not a new concept. And the place where I found it got really popularized relatively recently was around the content creator era. The idea of creating content, the idea of creating courses, the gig economy where you can sell things. And people would say, well, I don't, I don't know what I could sell. I don't know what I have to give. And the common refrain was always, no one is just like you. You have lived a unique life and therefore you have things to share. And I got to admit, it never resonated with me because it seemed a little like, well, just because you've lived a life doesn't mean you necessarily have something to offer. And so how does this idea differ from really what I believe to be the kind of trite quote of, oh, just be your unique self and you have plenty to offer type thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, here's another example for you. So I, I run a, a software company that does like business best practices um, and it's called Praxy.com. And I was looking, I actually wasn't even looking for someone to help me with my product management, but I was introduced to a young woman and she was 22 years old and she had no business experience. And she said, can I, can I have an internship? I'm like, you don't have any business experience. What, what have you done? Like, and, and she hadn't graduated college yet either. So, so I, as I talked to her, what I learned, she's kind of a, an acquaintance of a family friend. She moved when she was in middle school from the United States to Israel and learned, had to go to you know, a foreign you know, school and learn Hebrew uh, and work and you know, learn a school and go to school in another language. She then went into the military and was in the military for two years. And she had to then, or she got to lead a battalion of about 20 people. And I asked her how she learned how to do that. And she said she had to figure it out. And then she had just returned from traveling in India for six months after being in the military alone. And I said, how was that? And she's an amazing adventure. But what that, what I was able to glean through a conversation was she's really good navigating different cultures. She figures stuff out. She has confidence in herself to be a problem solver. And that those are the same attributes that we needed in someone who could manage a project team with people in 
Africa, Europe, and the U.S. and take really ambiguous kind of uh, processes that we're trying to define as part of the software and figure it out. We got brought her on as an intern, then eventually hired her full time, and she's a total all star. Now, most pe- most people would have never ever even entertained an internship because she had she hadn't graduated. She didn't have any business experience. It was like all of her experiences, other stuff. But the, the opportunity was to look at those other things and understand how does she think? What are those abilities that she has in terms of, you know, being able to pull t- people together and get them work in the same direction and then recognize that the job that we had that existed could use those skill sets and abilities and ways of thinking. So that, that would be very just tangible, practical example of that. It leads me to wonder in your experience, how many people know how to leverage their XQ? I think very few people. Um, I think that it, it happens sort of naturally and intuitively because you think, what am I good at? Or somebody asks you, what are you good at? And you sort of get there to a certain extent if you've got a self-awareness and you have some maybe coaching and somebody helps you, you know, you're, you know, I know you know a lot about leadership. So, you know, if you're doing coaching, like, what are you good at? What are those assets that you have? Maybe you do a strengths finder assessment or whatever it may be. But what are we, you good at doesn't necessarily involve how do you think? Are you able to live with ambiguity or are you an analytical thinker or what are the abilities that you have, not because of your last job description, but because of your personal experience and your volunteer work, your travel or whatever it may be. And looking at your holistic life experience and thinking about it in a little bit more of a structured way. And it doesn't have to be the good stuff either. It could be the traumatic, difficult things, as well as the joyous successes that you had. It's the whole thing. You know, you're looking at the whole spectrum of your life experience and extrapolating a little bit more of a structured way, kind of what makes you you, that internal fingerprint, and what makes you you from a strengths-based lens, a positive psychology lens. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now, I use Rocket Money, and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash smart. That's rocketmoney.com slash smart. One last time, rocketmoney.com slash smart. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to spend some time there for, for those listening going, ooh, I like this. You know, Soren's going to tell me why I'm special and, and, and what I can do well. And that, that's a good thing. Before we get there, I, I have to ask you this. I often think this, a lot of the guests that I talk to, you know, really well-educated, write really great books and bring things to the forefront. And the reason they're successful, I think, is they, you included, are able to do it in a way that seems obvious, seems like it's been around, but it adds to the conversation in a meaningful way. How does this idea, experiential intelligence, how does your book and your work differ from, you know, what most people understand, which is, yeah, I am the person I am because of the things I have done. And we could just leave it at that. We don't need a fancy title. We don't need models to support it. How do you fill in the gap to that discussion? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you, you know, for, for yourself, I might put you on the, on the spot. Yeah, correct? let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you think about the most poignant experiences you've had in life that maybe were really challenging, that conjure up some kind of an emotion, emotional response, even um, those most poignant experiences, what, what are they? Think about what those are. And and based on them, how did they impact you? How did they impact you from the standpoint of, did they shape any of the beliefs you have about yourself, about other people and the world? And I'll, I'll, I'm ready to share my own, but I'm curious if you think about anything growing up into early adulthood that really had an impact, you, impact on you that maybe got in your way maybe got in your way. So it's not just their strengths. It's like, okay, I, you know, now, you know, I don't trust other people in certain situations. Well, that might get in your way later down the line. Now, if that was an experience you had where that created it, maybe so. But that experiential intelligence is getting to the things holding you back, overcoming them and leveraging into the growth that overcoming them can offer as well. So now let me put you on the spot, Chris. What are some of your experiences? I was thinking about that. Obviously, I've thought about it a lot. The one that has shaped me the most and actually led me into my career field is what people on the podcast are, are probably sick of hearing. I try not to talk about it because, but it was what the podcast was founded on, which was I had my very first job a year in, I had a massive panic attack, passed out in the office, spent six months going to doctors trying to figure out how I was dying because I was convinced I was. And much longer saga, but that's kind of the gist of it. And it shaped me immensely. The number one thing it did is it almost overnight gave me a level of empathy that I did not have. You know, up until that point, I was like a jock, college, whatever. Like, you know, I hadn't grown up. And that experience really forced me to grow up and see the fragility in a lot of things, the severity in a lot of things, people dealing with a lot of things. 
And so that was one of the defining kind of, you know, we can call it traumas in my life that has led to things. Okay. So let's, let's peel back the onion on that. So how did your, your beliefs about yourself or the world change after that panic attack experience? Yeah, I'd say that the primary ones were, what's the point of all of this? That, that was the biggest was why go through this amount of stress? Like what actually matters? And out of that came the podcast and a nonprofit and all these things. The other though, and I think this is important and I'll, you know, I'll be honest, is a feeling of weakness, young, male, 21, strong, and, and all of a sudden overnight, I'm not, you know, weak and fragile, all those things. So I'd say those are kind of the, the two sides of that spectrum. Yeah. So that, that purposeful concept where you're basically saying, I, I need to find something purposeful in my life beyond just, you know, whatever this office job was that you had was instilled as a mindset. It's how you think. And then that led you to probably explore and do certain things that then helped you develop certain abilities and skills. And clearly with your podcast today, you've got purpose, you're bringing new insights and knowledge to the world, and you've got great skills that you've developed in finding people and moderating and extrapolating kind of insights from conversations. So it, there's a line of sight oftentimes between mindset, ability, and then your know-how, your practical skills. Um, so we just to maybe dumb this down a little bit and try to further answer your question. If you think about riding a bike, you know, how much of your intellect is responsible for you successfully riding a bike? Very little. <laughs> Very little, right? So you, you got to try it. You fall over. You might put a training wheels on. You may take one wheel off. You, you know, get some help from other people. Well, the, the way that we ride a bike is through experiential learning. It's experience. And so what we learn is the base know-how to, to you know, use the handlebars, use the brakes to brake. Now, that is important. But Ultimately, you need to have higher order abilities after you practice, which is anticipating potholes and bumps or riding defensively in traffic. So those are the higher order abilities that are above just knowledge and skills. Now, then you have your mindsets. So how do you think about riding a bike? Is it about tr just transportation? Or do you think about riding a bike as a social activity or as adventure? And if you think about riding a bike differently, you actually start using the bike in new ways and it opens up opportunities. So you've got mindsets, abilities, and know-how that you've developed because you've tried it out. Now, if you fall a lot or if you fall in front of people as you're learning and you're embarrassed, you might have certain mindsets that say, I'm not going to take risks. I don't want to be embarrassed. Or, you know, bike riding isn't safe. It's dangerous and I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. So you can have mindsets that create self-limiting beliefs and limit what you end up doing, or you can have mindsets that expand what the possibilities are just from riding, you know, trying to learning how to ride a bike. So different people can have different, you know, kind of experiential intelligence developed as part of that same process. And then the question is, how do you either overcome the things holding you back or how do you lean into and leverage the things that, you know, that are real strengths that, that you've taken away from the, those experiences. 
Yeah, I mean, you just wrote the interview for me because that's where that what I had to ask is you were talking about the bike riding. I've got two little boys. My oldest just for the first time got hit by a baseball pitch. So he's been playing baseball for about a year and a half, but he just learned that like, oh, when this hits you, it hurts. And I'm watching in real time what you're talking about as we speak. The experiential intelligence being formed on this subject. Okay, wait, this hurts. And I'm watching it all of a sudden overnight change his belief system about a sport that he loved. And the thing he loved most was hitting. We all have that. Many of us, I'd say most, instead of really figuring out how to overcome it and leverage that as part of our story, we try to push it aside, avoid it, uh, myself included. Do you have some tips or answers for us on uh, how can we take those tough experiences that have set us in a certain way, a mindset, and flip it around? There's um, research on this. Uh, there's a guy named Richard Tedeschi. He, he wrote an article called Growth After Trauma. Here's a, it's like, you know, we're talking about real trauma, trauma, you know, whether it's war or whether it's something else. Um, and the concept is called post-traumatic growth, which basically means that if something really bad happens in our lives, and he looked at a lot of, you know, people who have had these traumas, it can change their entire outlook on life, create new, greater purpose and shift what they decide to do in their, their, their work or the kind of relationships they want. And it, it's not that trauma happens and then you're in a, you know, the death spiral. It's that trauma can happen. And he looked at people who actually looked at trauma, whether it was a health issue or whatever, and had that transformative experience. And so there are some things that can be done. Um, one, I, I think the most powerful thing is what Tadeshi calls disclosure. And it's basically being vulnerable and revealing to someone you trust your experience and having a conversation to understand your experience better through someone else's eyes and get reflection back that perhaps how you've responded, you know, isn't dysfunctional or is, you know, is, is validating. Now that's, that's one thing you can do when you apply all of that to then experiential intelligence, you know, we're talking about how'd you get smart from this thing? <laughs> I mean, that's the essence of it. Well, okay. Well, what did that impart onto you? How do you look at the gifts as maybe as difficult as those things were that, that happened, the gifts that you now possess because of that thing that happened, not despite of it. And so it, it's in self-reflection. You can, you know, you can meditate, you can see a therapist, you can see a coach, you can just talk to somebody you trust, but being putting a lens on it around the assets that your experience gave to you and getting some reflection. That's like number one. And it's not rocket science. It's not hard to do. You just have to find that trusted person to be a little bit vulnerable with. This is perfect. It's perfect. So you mentioned one example there, right? In that trauma, in that difficulty, and maybe even in the, the mindset that you're struggling with, what gifts did you get out of it? What makes somebody experientially intelligent as opposed to just well-experienced. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's the ability to leverage what you've gained from the experiences. So you can have a lot of experiences and you can say, I learned this, I learned that. But are you really consciously leveraging those things? Now, it might not be fully consciously, but you have a sense, I think, of what your assets are and that it's not, it's not just about the list of achievements on your resume. It's recognizing you traveled, you volunteered, you had family activities, whatever it may be that is contributing to the things you care about in life that you want to do and intentionally leveraging those things. So I, I think it's, it's in that, that difference of leverage versus have experiences and be a little bit more on autopilot. That's one. The second one, though, is to look at the experiences you have. And it doesn't have to be the traumas. It can be little things. I'll give you another example shortly that are limiting Self created have created self-limiting beliefs that have then limited what you do and what you can do. And it's it's in awareness of those self-limiting beliefs, because all the you know, your experiences create limiters as well as enablers and 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 expanders in terms of what, how you think. So it's also being having that self-awareness of the things that are limiting you so you can work on them and then have them stop limiting you so that then you can better leverage your strengths. That's the experiential intelligence I'm talking about. So many things came to me. So one is, have you ever heard or, or seen, it, it's a YouTube video, but it's also a speech. It's called, This is Water. There's a story, it's a parable, basically of a, a fish, I think, that swims by and says to another fish, hey, how's the water? And the fish goes like, what are you talking about? Because when you're in it, you don't know you're in it. When you're a fish, you don't know you're in water. It's just your environment. And it made me think about this. Is it fair to say that experiential intelligence is experiencing something and then being willing and able to look back upon it and determine what impacts did that experience have on me and how have I grown from it and what skills do I have to offer because of it? Spot on, spot okay. on. Yes. Okay. And it's David Foster Wallace. There uh, you go. That's who yeah. it is. God, and, yeah. And uh, and and so here's here's just a simple example because we were talking about like the bigger things that happen, like the traumas and things like that. It, yeah. it can be small. So here's an example from my personal life. Um, I was probably 17, and I went to go buy a car with my father at this car dealership, used car dealership. Terrible experience. Salesperson, you know, this car dealership, we didn't know it. It was kind of notoriously known for bait and switch tactics and things like that. And I could tell my father was completely stressed out and didn't trust the salesperson. And I remember they did some things like they reduced the price and they said, well, you have to make a decision in like an hour for this price to, I mean, it was like really intense. It lasted, that interaction lasted for like 15 minutes and it wasn't like a big trauma. But what I carried away from that, and I only got to this just a few years ago, but what I carried away from it was salespeople can't be trusted. They're trying to take advantage of me. That's what, that, was my own, that was my own kind of storyline, right? So, so throughout my life, I have always been very apprehensive around salespeople, probably not even very kind when someone's just trying to help me out. Right. 
Now, what it also instilled into me was a view that I need to understand people's motivations when I'm interacting with them. And so the the first one was really a, I'd say a negative self-limiting belief. Like I, I can't trust people. Like that's, that's not true. I, I, there's a lot of people who are salespeople that you, I can trust. And I also had a strong desire to understand people's motivations, which has led to lots of work in innovation and empathy, empathy, customer empathy research and, you know, culture, understanding different cultures and people's motivations and norms and things like that. Well, that one experience imparted several different things to me, some, one of them getting in my way and one of them a real enabler. Experiential intelligence for me, at least in my own life, is understanding those two things from that one experience and trying to address one and lean into the other. And so, you know, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's an excellent example for a lot of reasons. And I love how you just ended it saying, you know, to address one and lean into the other is to say we all have experiences, many good, many bad, but I become experientially intelligent if I'm willing to say, okay, what are the scars this left me with that I would like to address and dig into? And what are the the trophies that this left me with that I can go bring to the world and show to the world? I love that. And And think about what happens when you heal the scars, when you overcome those things. Yeah. It's freeing. It's it creates a presence that is much more grounded so that you can take advantage of those strengths in situations that maybe you were, you know, for me, maybe I was more reactive around the sales situation and I I wasn't aware of the other strengths so that I could, you know, I wasn't tuned in to people's, you know, kind of the, the, the win-win opportunities. Like, so yeah. like, it, it's like the, the flip side of healing is growth. And so I think that these, you know, it's two sides of the same coin, but by dealing that experiential intelligence, by dealing with the stuff that have been the, what I call the negative impacts, it creates opportunities to really leverage the positive impacts that you've had in your experiences. Absolutely. It, it really reminds me of, a lot of things we've discussed on the show, I know Ryan Holiday talks about the obstacle as the way. We interviewed somebody a long time ago, something like trial by fire or something, but it, it was really well put together. And I think what I'm really enjoying about this, and, and it brings me back to that comment I made about this is water and David Foster Wallace, which is a lot of times, especially like listening to this interview for a piece, you could go, yeah, I get it. This makes sense. Like reflect on my experiences. But I, I always tell people this, it's not what you know, it's what you do. And so you can say, I know that, but I, for a fact, know so few people do this, do it often and do it in a way for growth. And so I, I want to, I want to talk about that. How can we start doing this? What are some tips to reflect and leverage? I know we've been talking about it, but I could imagine if I was listening to this episode, I'd go. Look, Soren, I, I can't think about every experience that's ever happened to me. What's the good? And what's the bad? And all this, right? It's just too much. So uh, from the expert, how can we start this process of growing our XQ? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I have worked with leaders and I've worked with teams and, 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 and coached individuals. And I want 
but wanted as I was writing my book to make this as practical as possible. Because, you know, the big idea of experiential intelligence is fairly intuitive. It, there's research behind it. And it's all, you know, it's, 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 I think it's valuable in expanding how we think about intelligence, but what do you do with this thing? So um, quick, simple example. Um, I was working with a big fortune 1000 company and they had a team who was coming together for the first time after COVID. A lot of people didn't, had never met in person. And the pre-work was essentially list your top three experiences that shaped you as a person in the most profound way and come prepared to talk about how, what they were and the strengths that they gave to you. Simple. Great exercise. Everyone came in, did it, and they then pretty quickly had an inventory of the incredible strengths their team possessed so that they could then go you know, ex execute on their business strategy. Well, it's sort of like what you and I just had a conversation about. What are the, what are the most poignant experiences in your life that, sh that you think shaped you in some way? Okay. What... Now that you can go, you can, I'm going to, I'm going to simplify it first and then I'll go kind of the advanced version. What strengths did they, did, did they, they deliver to you? What were those most pointed experiences? What are the strengths? Now you can do that by yourself. You can do it with a coach. You can do it with a partner. You can do it, like whatever, however you want to do that. It's, it's that simple. Now you can elaborate on it to say, how did they, how did those same experiences come up with your list? They can be positive or negative. They can be big or small. How did they shape how I think, my mindsets? How did they lead me to develop certain abilities and skills? And so you kind of can create a little chart, you know, get on one column, you've got your experiences, how did you have mindsets, and then you've got abilities and then skills, and you can kind of fill it out. And so that is a starting point. And it can be a starting point for understanding yourself better. It could be a starting point for working with your team. It could be a starting point for thinking about, you know, how do you um, bring your whole self to your, your work? How do you, you know, bring your whole self to your family? You know, that you can look at things that are limiting you. You can make the, a negative version of it in terms of the negative experiences. You can make a positive version of it. So there's, there's various things you can do that are pretty simple at a you know kind of top line surface level. Now, of course, you can go really deep because some of this has to do with psychology and trauma and things like that if you wanted to. But at that simple level, it can be relatively straightforward. I could see how it could go deeper. As I was thinking about it, I imagine there's plenty of people going through this mental activity in their head right now and going that experience, it didn't give me a lot of positive. I don't know. You know, instead it made me shrink or it forced me to do things this way when I wish I could do them that way. A, a simple example. I know a lot of people who are terrified of public speaking, but don't want to be. So let's say they had an embarrassing public speaking thing and they were like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then they don't. And they're reflecting on that going, look guys, this, this is a bunch of BS, right? Like I, I just wish that never happened. I'd be more successful and et cetera, et cetera. How do we deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of these things that do happen in our lives impart certain beliefs 
in in how we think about ourselves and other people and the world itself that is hard to get over. So I think the first step in that is to look at, based on that public speaking fiasco that might have happened, what what did I take away from? What are the messages I took away from it? Now, if I have a public speaking fiasco and you have one also, we might take away different things from it. I might think, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed and I have a lot of shame about my stutter. You might think, oh my gosh, this didn't work. And I risk losing connection, human connection with other people because of, you know, because of what I said and I'm not going to get the next opportunity. So I think that the, the first step in whatever that experience is that's negative is to really understand what did I internalize from that? Now we're kind of getting into the psychology world with that. But isn't that the best part of this? Like, isn't it really? (laughs) I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't go there, it'll, it'll still be there. (laughs) You'll be operating on autopilot uh, without, without that understanding. So I think understanding kind of the psychology behind those internalized messages is really the first step in that. And it may be different for different people. Different people have different experiences, like the bike riding example. Like what we internalize can be different, even with the same experience. And so for us individually, it's under that understanding. And then deciding, you know, like you said, though, it might not be a positive thing. It may be that some experiential intelligence doesn't always have to be positive. You can say, here's the experience I had that left me with something I want to need to work on or I want to work on. So that then I can let that subside, that self-limiting belief, or maybe I've been operating with certain, you know, in certain ways and behaviors that aren't serving me well. Because the same things that I used to adapt as a kid in certain traumatic, com- you know, contexts won't serve me well later in life. I can't do the same thing I did at, at home in a team later in work. It might not work. So how do you let go of those things and be aware of the negative impacts and then look at other things that happen that might be the positive impacts that you can leverage into? It can can go both ways. You know, as you were saying that, it reminds me a little bit, or at least the analysis of experiment uh, of experience reminds me a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy. Look at your experience and then ask yourself, what is true? What am I telling myself? All of those things. And now that I say it out loud, of course, there's a link there. Of course, there's a link there. There is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's how it's how you become experientially intelligent, right? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. We've talked about this. So if you just say, no, nothing new to add here, that's fine. I just find this idea of the story you told about the woman who uh, was in the military and traveled and all this. You could have two versions of that woman who have lived the same life but not reflected on it and not learn from it. And you could have somebody who is experienced and experientially intelligent. Is the difference in those two people simply the ability to reflect on it? Do you think it's that simple? I, I actually don't, because I think that okay, a lot of people who are experientially intelligent may not, they may not have the words to articulate like the assets they got from their experiences. They may just be, using the assets they got from their experiences to further their own personal and professional goals. 
So I, I, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize you don't have to call what your experiences are experiential intelligence to have it. Just like you can be intellectually smart and have a high IQ without really even knowing it or thinking about how high your IQ score is. It's not, it's not what it's about. It's about the, the recognition inside that I have certain um, things I can draw on that are a collection of my experiences. And, and it doesn't have to be as even as conscious as that. It's just that I'm, you know, I'm going after life in a way that taps into the things that I've, you know, gained from my experiences, both the challenging experiences and the joyous ones. I got to ask, you know, I know a little bit about your background and, and we're going to talk about it in the intro, but how did you get into this? What brought you to this specific book to be very literal, but idea, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, this is a central part in the work you do with executives and organizations. So it, it really always has been, I just hadn't had language for it Mm. or a structure for it. And I also had, like I said, a pretty traumatic childhood that left me with a lot of things I needed to work on. I mean, from the the little things about trusting salespeople or trusting people to, you know, really some of the challenges of growing up with a mother with mental illness and a father that was not present and I didn't feel worthy of like attention. And it was very difficult and it came into my adult life and into my relationships. And so I felt like I I needed to understand and I did a lot of work on myself and it wasn't about experiential intelligence. It was like, wow, my life doesn't feel good to me right now. And I needed to work on some things. And so I uncovered the things that had impacted me negatively. And I've been working on those things. I'm always a work in progress. I will be for the rest of my life. But as I gained insight into the things that had impacted me negatively, and then I started to heal and address them, I also recognized that a lot of my success that I had, that I could point to, professional success and success in certain relationships and so forth, I could also point to the same things that had negatively impacted me as the source of my success. So I'm sitting there thinking, wow, the same things that traumatized me delivered unique gifts. The same things that, you know, I, I went to, you know, example, I went to India after college and totally blew my mind. That was not a negative experience. So I had amazing positive experiences, but I also had these negative experiences. But as I looked at the whole of what has made me, me, it's all of that stuff. And I then, because of just work with thousands of leaders around the world, and I do a lot of writing, I realized that there's this unspoken, unarticulated success factor in a lot of people. And it's their experiences. And we just, we have these informal words like street smarts or, you know, 10,000 hour rule, do something for a long time. And like, that's all great. But there's actually something more formal, more more structured to understand what's going on. And I, I love that. that. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I jumped in on you because I love it because you're validating a lot of my experience and things that I've struggled with. And I think people listening are in the same boat, which is 
So we had on the show David Epstein, who wrote a book called Range. Have you heard of it? I, I haven't read it. You, you would love it. You would love it. In summation, he says there's two types of people. There's specialists and generalists, right? Specialists, they know what they want early on, and they have kind of a linear path. So oftentimes when you're 25, if you're a specialist, you're making more than your friend who's a generalist because they're, they're bopping around. But the generalist curve are more, I don't want to call it parabolic, but they hit this thing where all of these experiences come together and they're really a force to be reckoned with. I love that idea. And it reminds me of what you're saying. And you said it's like this key component that we don't really recognize as clearly and readily as we do to a lot of other things. And that's not fair, right? Because life is experience. So how are we not going to put context and verbiage around perhaps the most important skill somebody can have? I think the one of the last couple paragraphs in my book says basically acknowledges the, the notion that our experiences shape us and kind of instill uh, into us who we are is such a no-brainer. It's just a no-brainer. And it's been flying under the radar around this whole idea of what makes someone successful and in, in quote unquote intelligent in life. And, and, and so I, I think that that the, the intuitive nature of this, it's, it would be easy to dismiss it, but if you do, there's just, you're missing a lot of richness in exactly. mining your experiences. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you're out there kind of telling the world, Hey, these people who have experienced a lot of things and reflected on it and gone out and learned and done just for the sake of learning and doing, not for the sake of bolstering a resume. There's a benefit there. There's a value there. I'm glad you're out preaching that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it has huge implications for education, for business, for parenting. It, it goes on and on because we're creating experiences for young people. We're creating experiences for students. We're creating experiences in our organizations and our teams. And we're having experiences constantly. In, in life. That's what life is just, you know, an amalgamation of experiences. And so the more we can understand that all of what happens is constantly communicating, imparting, sharing, connecting us with shared experiences, it, it, the, the better we can make our own lives and the lives of other people. You get to work with those at the highest level of organizations. When you bring this idea to them, and let's say you sit down with them, maybe you're in one-on-one -on -one coaching and they're an executive or something like that. I'm, I'm assuming you ask them similar questions. What are the important experiences in your life, et cetera? Have you found any commonalities about those at the quote unquote top, as we're talking about organizations in either their experiential intelligence or how they talk about their experiences? There's there's a trend. One example: um, top executive, Fortune 1000 company, um, and she is a strong advocate on having her team bring their whole self to work, is what she calls it. And I said, "What does that mean? The whole self? Have you talked about to your team what that means?" And she said, "No, but that it's important to her." So. I think that there's this this emerging idea that it's important to honor 
all of what someone brings to the party. But a lot of people don't understand what that looks like. And so there's a real opportunity there, I think, for future research and models and assessments and consulting to help bring these ideas forward. Um, that's one thing I've seen. Another, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think another one is that a lot of um, leaders um, don't want to share more publicly their trials and tribulations. Um, and, and they feel like it's a sign of weakness. Um, and so I think we're in a, in our society and in business culture, we've got to overcome that sort of stigma that being vulnerable is weakness and actually see it as strength because it actually is. And every, Every individual I've come across, really everyone has had really difficult moments in their lives. And some are more willing to talk about it than others. And some are more willing to be open about what they gained from it. Um, so I, I don't see, I, I see a pattern that there's not a huge pattern yet. <laughs> and we're, you know, it's, it's all over the map, but the leaders that I do see advancing uh, are a bit more in touch with that side of themselves and surround themselves with people and who can they can be kind of more open with. Yeah, I think that's the trend. I think somewhat maybe generationally, but also just the more information, the more availability of opportunity where people get to self-select the environment they're going into professionally now all plays a role, right? Uh, I want to follow somebody who, yes, is intelligent and influential and all those things, but is also a person, you know, and, and I'm glad as a society, I think we're making those, those changes. Well, Soren, I really appreciate it. And we've talked about it a lot. The book is experiential intelligence, harness the power of experience for personal and business breakthroughs. You write a lot of places. I think Inc is one. Where else can we find you? Obviously we'll link to the book, but if we're interested in, in this idea, my, my personal website is my full name, uh, Soren Kaplan, S-O-R-E-N-K-A-P-L-A-N.com. And you can get you know the first chapter of my book right there. Just download it uh, to learn a little bit more about the core concepts. Uh, and it's all right there. There's a toolkit with my book as well that has all the tools and templates and things that we just talked about uh, as well. I'm glad for that because, the, you know, I feel like this is the type of thing that needs some tools. You know, I, I need some guidance from you on what questions do I ask myself? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Soren, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. A thank you to this week's guest, Soren Kaplan. The episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Soren's book, Experiential Intelligence, Harness the Power of Experience for Personal and Business Breakthroughs, is available wherever books are sold. If you'd like to reach out to this show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.